Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as documentary filmmaker whose subjects range from mutant turtles to some guy named Conan, Randall Lobb joins Bellelli for a wide-ranging conversation including the democratization of filmmaking. A life with no vomiting since 1969. Gobs of lobs, wordless biceps, Wonder Woman. How can one episode contain so much? And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 116. Here we are again. Uh, we're doing our split summer coverage right now. So this is a interview by Bellelli and a, uh, an intro from me. Uh, hi, everybody. Hope your summer's going well. Uh, I want to get right to this. We'll get to uh, Randall Lobb. He's a documentary filmmaker. He's done the Conan movie that uh, Bellelli was in and done uh, Mutant Turtles and the uh, History of Grayskull and all sorts of kind of cool pop culture uh, documentaries. So we'll get to that in just a minute, but let me do the awesome rundown of the folks to help make all this possible, including the first and the most appreciated, Datsu Sarah, the guys that have been with us from the very beginning. Um Hemp gear is always, but we always talk about the backpacks and the and, and the cool, you know, satchel bags and things like that. But they also have a lot of cool hemp gear, including hoodies and cool hats and nutty beanies in a wide range of color. All hemp, of course. And to check all that out, go to dsgear.com and check it out. There's all sorts of stuff now. They do have the geese, but uh, check out all these new lids for your old bald head to help keep it from getting sunburned. It might be the thing to get. Alrighty, on it. O N N I T dot com. On it. Alpha Brain's the one that really got it started. I remember years back when Aubrey was still talking about that with Joe Rogan. I guess maybe even before On It was totally a thing, uh, but just as popular as ever. Helps you with your memory and your focus. Um, I like the capsules. Uh, Bellelli likes the instant, but uh, try them both and see what you think. It really does kind of help focus you when you need a little extra energy, extra. Mental clarity, especially late at night. So check it out. Uh, it all comes back with a money back guarantee. So nothing to risk there. Then, of course, our friends at Sure Design, the folks that actually print our awesome t shirts as well, uh, have a, hundreds of different designs as well. SureDesignTShirts.com will get you there. Uh, right now, I've seen some new stuff, many different colors of many different other crazy designs, but they also have these kooky. Thai fishing pants, which are kind of something I've never seen before, and they look pretty comfortable. I'm going to have to order one and check it out for myself. But another thing, for those of you with little, little daughters, lots of girls' tie-dye dresses that'll be really you know, sassy to take back to school with them, because it's going to be that time before you know it. Holy smokes, how does it get here so fast? 
And then, of course, I want to tell you about Kiva. Kiva.org, your fellow listeners, almost 200 of us, members of Team Drunken Taoist, have broken $80,000 in loans to folks around the world. But Kiva itself has broken a billion dollars in loans, billion with a B. And uh, just a, an upstanding, really great charity, a great place to put your money because once you put it in, you can continue to make it useful over and over and over again as the loans are completed and the cash comes back. So I cannot recommend a better place to kind of, you know, especially if you've got kids that maybe need to find a different place to put their money than a new video game every once in a while and see uh, a way to help the rest of the world. This is a great way to do it. Kiva.org, great organization. As always, check the episode notes for all the discount codes for all of these fine sponsors. And that's it. So here we go. Interview time. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, straight from the Great White North, <laughs> Mr. Randall Lobb, do tell. Um, I, I am. I'm from the North. That's good. That's, that's a, true. That's a good... Um, you do strange things in life. Um, you, <laughs> I guess I do. I do. You make documentaries on every subject known to man and then uh, you race back uh, before the principal of the school where you teach and start whipping you to make sure that you are there to correct exam and yes uh, corrupt the i mean uh, teach kids i and, have uh, i have in the past tried to juggle diametrically sem- seemingly diametrically opposed jobs oh yeah i mean you were just telling me a story <clears throat> before we started recording about having to run to have a meeting with like UN representatives, prime ministers of countries, but only to make sure you're back by 7 a.m. the next morning to teach class uh, mm-hmm. English uh, for... You teach high school? Is that I, I taught high school, yeah. Um, <clears throat> curious. Tell me a little about the docs. What... Um, some of the topics. So... We started doing documentaries that were more social and like kind of socially active, social commentary in mm-hmm. nature. We did a documentary on Canada's military in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We did that with our friend Richard Fatusi. He was a, a, what you would call a citizen journalist. He embedded himself with the Canadian military. And <clears throat> by fluke, the convoy that he was in had uh, they hit an IED. And the kid two buffaloes up was from the same area as us, mm-hmm. from Richard and myself. And by even crazier coincidence, the poor kid who passed away, Matt Dinning, was very good friends with our partner, my business partner, Mark Hussey's brother. So we had these very close ties. We worked with Richard to turn that bunch of footage he had into a documentary. And then did a few more things with Richard and his partner, a guy named Brooks Burgreen, you know, Cambodian landmines, Mr. Akira, who is the D-miner, D-mines by hand. And eventually, after doing that for a while, we started doing, early in the uh, years of iTunes and the feeling that video was going to be on the net, we thought if we looked at niche video, we could you know, break distribution and make our own stuff and get it mm-hmm. out there. 
And then this very guy right here is Isaac Elliott Fisher. He's a camera operator, a DP. And when he was young, he was in a program that I was teaching for young filmmakers. And he was, I would say, deranged in that he said, I'm going to make a feature film with my grade 10 friends. We're going to smash a car through a trailer down a hill. We're going to make this feature with chase scenes and all that. And I said to the other mentors doing this course, um, this kid is just crazy enough that he could work in the industry. So one day he was working with us on some projects and he talked about getting back into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I mean, well, you're sitting here. Why don't you say what your thinking was? Well, I mean, I had already done that one pop culture documentary um, <clears throat> previous to my film film school years, and we were working together on music videos and such. And I had this this sort of mentality of taking pop culture icons or things that I was interested in, franchises that I was interested in, and doing as kind of fan service documentaries, looking at them. And I mean, to be fair, the first doc I did wasn't very documentary. It was more like a music video on trucks. Um, and so I approached them uh, late 2008, early 2009, and I said, you know, I'd really love to... I, want, I was actually digging into the history of the Ninja Turtles as a comic book and stuff and wasn't finding very much. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting underdog franchise that was an underdog franchise while at the same time being one of the most successful toy sure. lines in you know history. And, and so I was like, well, how is there no you know, good documentation about this whatsoever? So Documentation? Documentary. Documentary. Or books. Or really? Anything. There was nothing, really. And so I was looking at it going, like, it'd be really cool to, to be part of it. Sure. And um, if not, do it ourselves. And, and I think I'd maybe at that point reached out to the, the owners of the property to say, do you want to do this? And they said, we can't take unsolicited ideas or whatever. And then we just sort of did it. I said, do you want to do this documentary on, on the Ninja Turtles? And you said... And I said, no. Yes. Like my first reaction, okay, look at yourself. You have a podcast. You've been on some podcasts. 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 I was rushing there. You've been on podcasts many times. Um, you just started to do something and put it out there. Why did you do that? I think like, and that's why what I'm kind of trying to drive for you guys to understand and also for everybody else to kind of catch up with us in this conversation the feeling that I'm getting here, because I think like what people would normally think is we got, uh, you know, you want to be, a, I think people understand podcasts that you just plug a microphone into a <clears throat> computer and run with it. And then you hope for the best. And ideally you get people to listen and everything. So everybody get it that that a very uh, do it yourself type of approach. Documentaries, people probably think that there's a little more behind it where there is oh it's documentaries so it's probably you have national geographic hiring you to go do this thing with millions of dollars this and that and the other and don't get me wrong of course there those documentaries do exist but that's not the majority of stuff that's out there if you are looking at documentaries the majority of stuff so i guess if we can backtrack a second is like how did you guys do you literally just you're sitting in canada one day going i'm gonna make documentaries and just go out, get a good camera, start shooting, and then run into find how you can sell them? Or how did the whole process, how does it even work? If I was to trace it all the way back, mm -hmm. it was... I'm going to cough here, so sure. we'll mute we that. Always <laughs> if I was going to trace it back, it was because it's difficult to make a narrative film. Sure. It's difficult to make a film of any length 
that is based on a script. And it requires elements being put into place that are not easy to align for a small group of people. So even as as far back as film school, I was in film school and I had this big plan. Fourth year, I was going to make this narrative thing. And the prof said to me, they're all, all the profs I had were Czechs, and they had been through the worst part of Czech history, which mm-hmm. is the Russian situation and communism. And they all were big uh, believers in documentary and political films and films and any kind of art should come from a place of reality. And they're friends of Milos Forman, who, if you know Milos's films, he's a, a, a certain kind of filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So this idea that making something that was real, making something that felt real was baked into our film school, but it was also stuck to us by the idea that you can't get the things you want. Yeah, I mean, as a medium, pretty much anything else, you know, there used to be radio, now it's podcast. You can do it yourself. Yeah. You get music, you can record with your friends and put it out there on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Books, you can self-publish or put them on iTunes. Movies are a bit of a different story because, yes, you can shoot whatever and put it on YouTube, but realistically, just the number of people involved because you need actors, you need, uh, you know, you need too many people. The hardest part is what you just said, actors. Exactly. And it's a killer. So you would write, you, I would write a script and I would think, who would play this part? Sure. Eventually, it would be the people I know, the people who are around, and it's only as good as the actor. Of course. So what was the changer for me? I wanted to do a documentary about an auction mm-hmm. because of these characters. And the best thing about the documentary was they are like that. Right. So I hire you to be an actor in my film, and you have to pretend to be whatever. But that guy, he's like that. Right. He goes to auction sales, and he'll say to the auctioneer... Well, I'm only here for you to tell me what I really need. And that guy was so crazy. And that, and that guy was a trapper. Like, he's a real person. Yeah. We're talking about someone real. He was a trapper, and he hunted, and he knew every animal. And he would go to the auction sale and buy something, and no one knew what it was. And he would say, oh, well, that there's a, a, a conifer sponge. You use it to get the resin out of yeah. a... Anyway, he would make stuff up. So, this idea of... His name's Elmer Trick, by the way. Oh, I know who you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> so you would find these characters in, in reality that were so interesting that I thought, oh, well, I can always do that, and it short circuits. Yeah. So we made this documentary about Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan because of that character, this right. unfortunate young man who passed yeah. away in the IED. Then it was Mr. Akira, that but Cambodian okay. So guy. let's say you do a documentary like that. Okay, great. Now you shot the footage. Wonderful. What do you do with it? Is there anybody who's actually want to <laughs> well, buy? No. Is there... You know, the thing is, though, I mean, even just to step back to what you were saying about, you know, radio, even I think with audio, it happened before film mm-hmm. because the technology is cheaper. It's easy. Right? Of course. Uh, but there was a time, of course, where the radio wasn't accessible. Oh, totally. And, and I mean, I look... I looked at it from my generation's point of view. I was going through film school at the what what I think is commonly called the democratization of film gear. Right? Yeah. So audio gear had already happened. So you already have recorders and microphones that are recording better quality sure. than the human ear can 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 even hear. And you buy it for a hundred bucks. Now you know. Yeah, sure. The camera that we we use is thirty five thousand dollars, but the cameras that are out there that are at the one thousand or five thousand dollar mark. Are actually 
pretty darn good. Well, your phone. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, but the problem with that is that whereas with other medium, all you need is the technology, and then it's either a one-person job or a three-person job. These you still don't. Right. But the thing is that that, that then you have those who can get their hands on it think they can. Right. So then you have this, this huge glut of content that you're kind of trying to wade yeah. through. This what, what he's saying is that the democratization of filmmaking wasn't a democratization of talent. Yeah, of the course. skill sets yeah. aren't replaced by the equipment. No, right? and that remain, and that is true with everything else too. Because yeah. it's like, again, anybody can plug a microphone in. Doesn't mean it's going to be any good. You exactly. can put any music you want. Doesn't mean you're good at it. You know. So yes, you can put it out. That you can get it done. That doesn't mean it's gonna. That's why, kind of, I'm talking about the documentaries. How do you go from your idea in your living room where you go, oh, wouldn't it be cool to shoot a documentary about this to actually being able to sell it, to actually having somebody who finance something? Okay. Or, you know, because you guys are not really going with the model of the, we get the money first, we are hired to do a documentary no. and then we no. do it. Or rather, it would be nice, but that's not the way. No. You guys do it and then you sell it. Yeah. So you yeah. take a monstrous risk initially because there's no guarantee whatsoever that it's going to get sold. And yeah, the, the reality of what we do and the, and the numbers are about equal is we build a house yep. and then sell the house. Right. Yeah. And the problem is the kind of documentaries we do, we're often building the house on land owned by Mattel or Nickelodeon right. or Fred Malmberg or the Frazetta, you know, yeah. whatever. You think of... Um, a documentary as being uh, a film taking advantage of an IP, that's different than what we're doing. We're yeah. trying to do almost like an examination in a news gathering sense. Because to give example of some of the stuff you have worked, you mentioned already like uh, Teenage Mutant, Ninja Turtles. Uh, what are some of the others that you've been playing with? Yeah, so we are working on a documentary on He-Man, the Masters of the Universe. Which is very fitting that you're sitting at the table across from me, because you got inspiration from that, Look, obviously. I, I wish the people at home could see that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. We, both of us sort of cowered away when that happened. No, but you know, it's like once I flex my biceps, is people have to go through about six months of training, of slow preparation, of increasing bicep size that they are accustomed to. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's too much all at once. And that's not something that most people would be able to handle. I spontaneously produced estrogen when you showed I me know, that. I know. That's why it's... It's incredible. It's a dangerous experiment, but... <laughs> but I like it. But yes, okay. absolutely. So we got <laughs> E-Man, of course. And then, of course, we met you Conan. because of Conan the Barbarian. Of course. Yeah. And the Conan franchise is owned by uh, a guy from Sweden named Fred Malmberg, Frederick mm-hmm. Malmberg. And we know him because... He was working with the lawyer of the guy that owned the turtles. So the same lawyer introduced us to some people. And then once we were in that world, um, you meet other people. So Mattel, you get acquainted with people through that. And Nickelodeon now, we're working on another turtle documentary. Uh, We've been looking at Transformers and working with some of the people there. And if you look at an IP like that, and you would call one up, like for example, yes, I wanted to do Wonder Woman, and I looked into a way of doing it. It's very hard to get through. It's one that's still on our list. Any franchise like that, we've probably either pitched or discussed or tried right. to handle it. And yeah. no, that makes sense. But no, I was just gonna say, just to go back to your earlier question. I mean, we we were very lucky that the three of us 
well, Rand, Randall and Mark, the third partner in this, um, Mark Hussey, were already working together. I was coming uh, back into my hometown where they are from um, at the same time. We were lucky to find each other at the right time and place because with this very tight, small group of people with the right talents between the three of us, then we were able to, not only with the democratization of gear, we had this this unique set of talents that allowed us to take the risk mm -hmm. and be able to compete at a stage, on a stage, where we were able to then take it and sell it. Because most of the time you guys are able to sell them. And that's, mm -hmm. yeah, because again, everybody can try it, but yeah. then thousands of dollars in, if you're not able to sell it, yeah. your career as a documentarist has just ended. That was fun, that one that you tried, but you're now, your mom has gone into debt to finance your documentary and it's a bad deal. It is it is a lot of risk, but we I think we made a calculated risk because of the way the way we made that first one was very revealing. Mm -hmm. And you know how uh, evolution creates the best things, right? The best trees, the best creatures. Mm -hmm. And that also film... created Chihuahua starting from wolves. So okay, I don't do you know, know what? That. that was I'm an intervention, human yeah. intervention. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to back up. You're right. Evolution is terrible. <laughs> we should replace it with something else. Yeah. We could hatch it. Sometimes it works. Okay. It's, a, it's not an either or kind of thing. But it does tend to beat the shit out of things that don't work. Yeah. yeah. Right? So if something doesn't work, it doesn't last. And it took us a long time to make that first documentary. And, and by being able to get through all the right things, all the right problems that came up, we found solutions and we got into a place where we knew how to do enough to right. sell the next one. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Speaking of, what's going on with the Conan documentary? So now we're into it. Um, this is where... Let's first clarify. The Conan documentary is about Conan as an icon in general, right. as, a, as a whole thing, right? The phenomenon of Conan the Barbarian is in character, created by Robert E. <laughs> Howard, and yes. There are it. three kinds of Conan fans, and mm -hmm. you know about them, because you might dovetail into two of the categories. There are Robert E. Howard fans. Sure. There are kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger fans. Sure. And then there are the comics fans who come to Conan through Marvel comic yeah. books. Okay. And they're sort of third, third, third. Yeah. Right now there's someone out there listening who says, what about me? I'm a fan of whatever. Y yeah. You exist too. I see sure. you there. But by the bulk, those are the, the groups. So when we came out of Turtles, we were looking for a property that was basically in a state of flux. Mm -hmm. Conan was one of those properties. There was a feature film in development at Universal. And I knew that. And so I reached out to the owner, Frederick Malmberg, through the lawyer that we knew in common. And I said, this is what we did for Turtles. It was about to be rebooted by Paramount and Nickelodeon. Our timing set it up that we could come in and talk about, my term was a recontextualization. How did you get from 1984 you know, Peter and Kevin, Eastman and Laird. How did you get to this point where Michael Bay's making this movie? Or Ciro Nelly at Nickelodeon was putting it together. And this, which movie are we talking about for Conan? Are we talking about the one that hasn't been made yet? Or are we talking about the 2011? So the 2011 had come and gone. Yeah. It was off the table. Okay. And Universal was going to reboot. And there was some talk about Arnold being involved. Mm -hmm. King and of Conan. That's right. Yes. Now, they... They had a script that wasn't the script that Milius wrote, and they had a lot of interesting people involved, and it was a, I would say it was very close to a go. Mm -hmm. 
And we were timed to come out when that was going to come sure. out. Because you need, when you make these documentaries, you want to have something at the end of the sure. rainbow. Attached with it. Yeah. Right. It didn't mean that we were going to sell it to Universal. It didn't mean that anything was going to happen where they were linked. Sure. But it would help us. Of course. It fell apart at Universal. So King Conan is dead. I, I'm not saying that. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying... But yeah, I mean, we have heard the news. Oh, they're going to make this movie like three years ago or something. Yeah. And it hasn't happened. So clearly something is going on. I think there's some stuff on the internet. They, he came out publicly and said they're looking at another way to do it. Okay. And I don't think that it will necessarily be a feature film first. I think they're looking at other ways to handle this franchise. Mm. Now, the, the popularity of Conan is tricky. Because a lot of the people who like Conan are older... And Universal, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Fast and Furious franchise, and it's made all the money. Universal was aiming at a very youthful audience. Sure. And it was hard for them to fit Conan into that sleeve. Of course. But if you look at things like uh, Game of Thrones or Vikings, or there are a lot of TV properties yeah. that have touched on and borrowed from Robert E. Howard of and course. Conan. So I'm not saying that's what's happening, but to me, it felt like people were looking at these other properties and saying, this is a smart way to approach. Yep. And there are so many good short stories with Howard, right? So your documentary is on the back burner because you have to wait until uh, there's some traction going on with these so that then your documentary can be... Hmm. And it's also on the back burner. Well, let's be honest. You've got... He, Isaac puts together rough cuts yeah. or rough assemblies. Yeah. And then I come in and I mean to his big cut and chop, chop, chop. And then we pass it off to a, our partner who does a very, very uh, meticulous yeah. fine cut. So, Isaac, you made a six-hour cut. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that even uh, the subject of Conan was exciting to come into because... It was uh, an opportunity to be a little bit more intellectual than we were with, with the Turtles, obviously. <laughs> I totally get it, yeah. but that sentence right there, Conan is an opportunity to be a little more intellectual, is yeah. a statement that would leave a few people puzzled. And that's yes. what I love about it, but right? Because absolutely. it's so, that's so unexpected. Of course. And so many people, I think even when we were saying the third, third, third earlier... I think that the movie the movie section is almost a lot bigger because most people that's all they know they have well, no idea that metric came from the owner of the franchise right. I think right, it's right. based on the traction that he gets the information yeah. that yeah. comes back to him yeah and but so, so I when, just when I we... want to jump in here really quickly and it sounds ridiculous but we even found an intellectual component to the turtles oh for sure like yeah. in 2014 right. when our documentary came out I got a call from the the uh, New York Times and they interviewed me for a think piece about the turtles wow Yeah, so, I mean... No doubt. I mean, we definitely take that approach with all of them. But I think that uh, maybe intellectual is the wrong word. Maybe it's more scholarly. Because, of course, you've got this this 1930s you mm -hmm. know, author and stuff like that, which obviously the journalist isn't that old. So, with with it, the approach of going into post, like what we were just talking about, the, the post process on Conan was different than, than Turtles. And it sort of has set a new precedent to how we're approaching some of the other films, which is that... We, we go out and we collect and collect and collect and collect as much as content, uh, much content, interview content we can. And, and then we try, we have, we have ideas of what we want to talk about going into it, but we're very conversational with how we do these, these documentaries as you, as you were interviewed mm -hmm. by us. And so we let the content or the, the people we interview sort of dictate how this story might, might sure. unfold. Yeah. So we, we go digging into, in some cases, hundreds of hours of, of content 
create a, a what we call a fat cut or a, a five or six hour cut in this case with Conan. And then like Rand says, he, he, he comes in and yeah. starts digging it I, I can't, the way that, that our process has evolved to work, I can't be involved in that heavy cut. Sure. Because the most, um, the most rigid application of story or thematic element comes from me. So he might put together sort of a chronology of stuff yeah. that he likes, pre-selects, mm-hmm. but I'll have this thing in my head that's thematic or whatever, mm-hmm. and then we'll change some of what he's done. Yeah. And if I was embedded in the process as much as he was, I'm scared. It might be right for so many people, You'd but for me, start, it's worrying. And we'd also start doing this thing where we would we would get stuck in feedback loops because it's easy for me to go, okay, this is the chronology of either the franchise's uh, birth or or things that dots that are very obviously connected. So I can actually draw a picture yeah. connecting these dots. Where if Rand was in in that process at that point, we might start running around trying to find other dots. Yet where we allow the content to go, here's this picture, and then Rand can then remold it. That's a trippy thing in itself, because you know it's like again, if you do if you write books, it's just you. It's one yeah. person brain. That's it. Yeah. These even at these game at the documentary game not even at the big feature film with actors and everybody still the fact it's interesting the fact that you have to really click with the people you work with because you have somebody like if somebody make the wrong choice and they hand you the wrong cut or you know you give them a great cut and they make it in a way that you're like the potential for you guys to murder each other is pretty high well because what do you have to put aside is ego, right? Yeah. Slaughter ego. Yeah. You, if you throw the ego away, you can say anything you want about the info. You can, but then there's the other factor where the ego comes right back through the back door because once somebody, you can say, sure, I don't, it doesn't have to be my thing as long as it's a great thing. But then you see what the other person has done and you're like, yeah, that's not a great thing. This other route would be a great thing. And suddenly you get in those artistic fights where you're like, my vision is not being respected here, you know. It's like, and it doesn't have to be maybe your vision, you know no. what I mean? But oh, there it is happens. an element of yeah, like yeah. Yeah. people view, people think that what's gonna make this a great thing are very different things. And, and that's so. a very interesting concept when it comes to applying that vision, like the statement you made when it come when it comes to yeah. like my vision is important. Yeah. Is when you apply that to narrative, I think is important because I think that. In, in so often in, in series narrative or, or, or feature film narrative, if you don't have a singular vision, it, it feels sloppy. It feels sure. like too many cooks in the kitchen. I think that with a... V- but yet sometimes, maybe you say Coen Brothers, you have this very cohesive unit yeah, yeah. and it works very well. I think in this case with Docs, you have to be more fluid or malleable with those visions because... Sure. It's not. It is more of a collective. It's a collaborating yep. with these other people. Uh, not like I don't even just outside of the, the filmmaker, or not just the filmmakers, but also the people you're actually. Well, there's a trick. Talking to. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a, a secret tool in my toolkit. If he turns the camera on and I'm the one talking to you, mm-hmm. I get to build the through line of our conversation. Of course, yeah. right? So that's why, as a director, that is yeah. That that. My, if I am able to maintain my awareness of my overall goal, yeah. I'm able to control enough to sure. get my vision out there. And then what's... So Isaac, he's basically screwing you over. That's what he's saying. Oh, well, he would tell me that. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> we do. We have another line. Whoever is best able to articulate their position yeah. needs be the winner. Right. The best idea wins. Yeah. But his yeah. best articulated idea wins. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tricky. It's like, it's funny because the first time... Um, 
when I wrote this screenplay with Pete McCormick, I honestly thought, yeah, that's never going to work because mm -hmm. somebody or well, somebody's going to go through my writing and change something I wrote mm. and then throw in their thing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to murder them. That's just where it's at. And he's like, I like Pete, but good thing he's in Canada because I'll kill him. You know, yeah. That's just where it's and at. And you can. That's we saw those thing. muscles. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the skills. The, and what happened instead, which was really surprising to me, was how, I wouldn't call it easy, but how it did work. There was a flow there. Like there were times when, you know, we we'll may go back and forth. I'm like, Why the fuck do you want to change it like this? No, I, and then after a while, you start listening. You're like, oh, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. And there are the times when instead maybe I'll go like, you know what? No, we do need this thing. It's like, and he was always very cool that if I'm putting my foot down on something, then he's like, he may ask questions to kind of make sure that that's where I feel and I feel strongly yeah. about. But if enough questions are asked and you feel like, yeah, that makes sense, then he's like, okay, that's good. Then mm -hmm. it works. I believe in dialectic. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that if you don't have dialectic in a project, you, yeah. your your ability to pull the best piece of material mm -hmm. out is impaired because you're stuck with your head up your ass. Your own vision is trapped sure. in your own bias, and so you need to have some kind of interplay between the as, opposition. As long as you still, at least at some part, trust your gut, because I sure. think that that's so important. Of and course, that's, and that's where what you're talking about, the fear of, of actually like collaborating with somebody on some, on, on something so personal and creative yep. that, that, and it's tough because how do you, how do you separate? Well, you just like that because you just like it and you're just egotistical yep. or you go, no, 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 this is, I'm, I, I can't articulate it, but yep. I just feel he's, it in my gut. He's telling you something directly out of a discussion that we would have. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is exact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, but I feel, feel like this is the direction yeah. we should go but i can't articulate it so sometimes yeah you go well so you've come in with a better argument and we we steered it in a different way but maybe yeah. what, what if my gut was right and i just couldn't of course know, get it out so there is that risk always it's a so, risk yeah but if you it, it, see this is where me i'm the caretaker of that mm -hmm. and they have to believe that i am so i think he would even say in the case of these docs um if, if I have an idea, I try not to attach to my idea. I try to always have a very organic foundation of reason sure. so that if he were to say, no, 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 we need this because of that, that's my feeling. Yeah. And it's easier for me to disarticulate than it is for him. So mm -hmm. I have to be in this place of my executive branch of my brain isn't crazy. You know, the stuff you just said is interesting to me in terms of communication. Because one thing that I started getting as a kid, I remember, was getting into this discussion where I often wouldn't know how to express it, mm. but I was 110% sure that what I felt was correct. I just didn't know how to voice it, right? And so it became, granted, there's a, just a tiny bit of delusion of grandeur in this because my feeling was like, if I feel it, I'm, means I'm right, you know? Mm. And yet the way it worked out was that most I guess the way it was is I didn't feel out of an ego-driven craziness of I'm always right kind of shit because I didn't. But I did feel that if I do get a strong feeling, I don't get it just because I fall in love with whatever goes through my brain. I get it because on some deep level, I've gone through it and it checks all the right boxes and that's why it's a good idea. So it's not that every idea I have is a great one, but every one that I'll end up supporting will be a great one because has already gone through an internal mm -hmm. examination process. Now, that still didn't mean I knew how to explain it. 
But that shifted things for me as a kid because I remember having this feeling of if I'm feeling it, I'm probably right. Now let's figure out how I learn to express myself, how I can communicate it to somebody else or even to myself. How, why do I feel that way? Mm-hmm. And granted, why sometimes is a tedious exercise when you're in a horror and it's like, no, this is, my gut feeling already led me to that conclusion. Why do we need to retrace all the steps? It's kind of like, if I can do math in my head and you tell me 17,000 plus 300 plus five, and I can get you the answer, why do I have to show you all the steps? Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. But there is something to be said because A, you're communicating with other human beings who are not going to be on the same plate immediately. Mm-hmm. B, even to yourself, to be able to show your work in a way will give you an extra layer of Critical. security. Yeah. And you will... And I mean, like, what, like the communication element of that is so important. And, and right away, as you explain, like, sort of your process of, of going back through it, um, it reminds me sort of how... Uh, especially within our group, we have very different ways of doing in amongst each other. Mm-hmm. So, so Rand, that reminds me more like how Rand would, would internalize it. And, and he has, he's going through an internal monologue, whereas I am incredibly extroverted. So I, mm-hmm. I might feel something, but I, I don't, I don't sit well with my own thoughts mm-hmm. on it. I need to express it outwards in the world. And sure. then I'll, I'll either we'll, we'll talk about it out here or I will physically, and that's the one kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, a blessing that I have is I can express myself in in many dance. different art dance dance. That's the least that's my least <laughs> oh. ability. <laughs> is that I can go ahead and sculpt it or uh-huh. draw it or right. paint it or shoot it yeah, or he, build it. I should say he's a director, of photography, camera operator, and he's a production designer, so he can do sketch. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a writer, director, producer type, mm-hmm. and our third partner is a a very technically literate. Uh, post-production operator throughout the whole. So those three, yeah, yeah those, they work together. The, the, yeah. yeah, they work very well because, like, you know, in, er, in the early days with with turtle with the first Turtle Power film, for instance, a good example of a, an argument, a creative argument we would have, is that I was very, I felt very strongly that we should do this opening credit sequence that maybe on the surface sounded like I was just being like, no, we need this cool yeah. thing because it looks cool. Yeah. Right. So Rand, I think you were expressing that you were like, you just. He was questioning my my reasoning because he was going. You just think I think you just think that this is looking cool and it's not actually going to yeah. add anything. I think maybe either we came to an agreement or I stubbornly just went ahead and did it and I created something because I knew that the effort I was going to put in didn't bother me. I was going to do all that effort yeah. anyway. Rand was maybe going, "Why are you going to do all this effort if it's for you know if it's, we're not mm-hmm. going to use it or it's not going to come out yeah. right?" So I went ahead and express myself in the physical world i created the 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 product and and we all came together and and worked on it and and it you know i think the outcome was as a result of everybody's input well what happens with someone like me as part of my job is even doing that right to even say do we need it why do we need it let's think about why i want to jump in that something that you said one of the documentaries we're doing is on a a video game series called shenmue Mm -hmm. and I don't know much about the game before... Like, I'm not a game yeah. player. Gamer, I guess they call themselves. These kids these days. Oh, kids. Uh, the guy we're working with on that is, he, is a young guy named Adam Scipione. Huge fan of Shenmue. This is a good example of that. He loves it. He's passionate. He cares about it. And his thinking about it comes from that place. Yeah. I'm not passionate about it. I'm passionate about the end result that mm-hmm. we're building. So there's that control. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that your passion is even scary to me. Sure. Right, so his passion for the shot, 
my immediate reaction is to counter the passion to see what's at the root of it, to push yeah. into that. Yeah. So that's what you, the process you described, creating the methodology or the analysis behind why you want something. Which I think, in terms of communication, is a really interesting thing. Like, even if we forget documentaries for a second, just the way we express ourselves as human beings, you know, this idea of... Uh, because so often we tend to put down gut feelings that, oh, it's just a feeling, you know, what I, that's not. And it's like, no, let's explore it. Let's unpack it. Let's ask those questions. Why do you feel this way? What is that make you feel? The, what it, because in many cases, just most of us have something going on, something we're thinking, something we're feeling, something we're, and it's the process of learning how to, put it in words, explain it to another human being, clarify it to yourself first and foremost, mm -hmm. is a key one that's useful in pretty much everything in life, mm -hmm. right? Because then a lot of the time, like think about the classic fights that happen between people who like each other, right? A lot of the time is, oh, you just say it because you like that idea. Or it's like, no, I don't like that idea because I'm married to it because whatever. I like that idea because it's a good idea. And let me show you why it's a yes. good idea. Not because it's my idea. Who the fuck cares? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't... And I think that's the reverse process of what we often do. It's kind of like we'll defend certain ideas to the death because we have an ego attachment to it rather than because it actually works. We're talking about it earlier in terms of medicine, right? We're talking about how some people are going to be 110% straight up Western medicine, the, other people are going to be 110% unless there are crystals and scented oils and shit. It's like, oh, what, that surgery that can actually save my life? Hell no, yeah. because it's Western medicine. Those are ideological positions, mm -hmm. right? Those are positions that you like a concept and you're going to defend it regardless of the evidence. Mm -hmm. To me, good communication, good thinking, good everything start from... I don't have to pick any of those ideas. I'm not invested in any of them. Exactly. I'm just going to look at them and see which ones seem to deliver the most results. Mm -hmm. After I've looked at them and I picked it, I'm not going to defend it, not because it's, I'm emotionally invested. I'm going to defend it because it makes sense. It clicks. It works. That's Effective. why. And if you can show me a better way, I'll take that one. Yeah, so I have nothing to lose in a discussion. Best you know? idea wins. Did, exactly. you, did you know we were going to talk about Trump's America in this conversation? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so, well, please. this is what bothers me about anything dogmatic. Uh -huh. The very process of making these documentaries, which seems ridiculous. Sure. I mean, I'm not a Turtle fan. I'm a Conan fan by yep. coincidence, but I'm not a He-Man or Shenmue yep. or whatever. But the process of it is the same process that would make me have a good marriage exactly. or be an effective whatever exactly. I'm doing where I have to negotiate with other human beings to achieve a purpose. There's a very Miyamoto Musashi aspect in yes. what you just said. What was that line? To be excellent in one thing is to be excellent in all things. Right. It's that... And I think, yeah, there are a few because, of course, all the translations are different. But it's something about seeing when you find a way in one particular yeah. approach, you start seeing it in all things and all of It's exactly that, right? It's this idea that there are specific fields. So today we start chatting about documentaries, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody else is not into documentaries. Like, the fuck do I care? It's like, that's not my thing. It's mm -hmm. not, I don't care about him and I don't care about documentaries. Well, many discussions can be just nerdy discussion on a specific topics. But then there's also the aspect of when you're able to see, it can be about any single nerd 
and the principles behind it can be applied to everything in life. And that's exactly what you said, right? And, and it's this... the core to all our movies. Like, well, you know that I was talking to Aubrey about mm-hmm. doing something on, on it. Right. And I said to him, the very same process that we did to Turtles, I know it works for on it. Yeah. By the way, the project's not off the table. It's sure. pushed away for now. And this is, I'm not discussing it to bring it up for any sure, reason. Sure, sure. But you understand it, that the, the black box that we drop onto a subject matter yep. brings the same material to bear. It's yep. that thinking. And I would love to tell the story of you know Cheerios or on it or Conan or whatever, sure. because once you dig in, it's personal and human dynamics. That yeah, because it's always... To me, anybody who's into a specific topic, I may be into the same topic, but for very different reasons. You know, you are into martial arts because you like punches flying. Yeah, that's great. But there's also more to it, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. And so, I don't know, I'm fascinated with, I don't know why my mind is going there right now. But I remember thinking like when I was maybe 16, 17, um, my mom's father so my grandfather on my mother's side uh, I didn't see him a whole lot of times in life he was kind of a very quiet type of guy who had his own way he was and so my mama once in a while was like oh Jesus good luck talking to him you know it's like and in one particular occasion she was just she had her eyes just like what the hell is going on here because I sat down with him and talked to him for I don't know 45 minutes he was doing like some kind of sailor up he was selling things, uh, drugs probably not. <laughs> like he, he went on for like minutes and minutes and minutes talking about these plates, these like dishes thing that he would sell, and uh, which clearly is the most boring topic on earth, right? Who the fuck cares? It's like yeah. I don't care about the ceramic or the pattern on the plate. I'm like completely irrelevant. But to me, it's like this is just the excuse. This is the hook for what you're telling me is not just about the ceramic thing. You're telling me about things that excite you, what you're passionate about, what you are. And so if I just get past the specific thing that I don't care about, there is a real discussion to be had going on. That's actually more interesting. That's sort of how I approach all things. Like I was talking with Savannah sometime and she's like, why is it that I can drop you in the middle of any conversation on any topic, whether you know about it or I don't, and you'll have a conversation with that person? Because to me, it's not about the specifics. Right. The specifics are kind of irrelevant. Or I mean, I can fall in love with the specifics. They can be cool. They can be... But on a deeper level, they are excuses for something bigger and greater that's behind it. You know, Which is why even when we are talking about the Conan thing, to me, it's like Conan is awesome. But not just because of Conan. It's yeah. like, it's what we attach it to me. Conan is about philosophy. It's about priorities. It's about things that most people would not immediately attach to the image of Conan the Barbarian, you know? And it's like, I'm always fascinated with that gig of how we can turn a very narrow, specific topic into a broader one that's at the service of life. Well, there would be a giant connector between all those things, and it's people's minds, people's Mm -hmm. psychology, the way that we think emerges through all of these holes, right? Absolutely. And, And exactly as you say, when we sit down tomorrow to interview someone about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I don't have to be a fan of the Nickelodeon show to talk to an artist or uh, an actor about what they're doing Mm -hmm. because I'm connecting in some other way with them. Precisely. And if I put that on on film, 
film. If I put that on 4K video, sure. that can be interesting to another human being. Absolutely. It's kind of like there's, uh, speaking of Taoism, there's Chuan's who had a great line is, uh, where can I find a man who has forgotten words? so that I can have a word with him, <laughs> which is awesome, right? But it's kind of like the specific words, who cares? That's, uh, but through the use of words, we can get to something that's beyond words. Yeah. We can connect on a level. There can be something else that passes that's way beyond the specific message typed out, if you are to read it. it there's something else going on there. I've had this experience where I'm interviewing someone and I feel... It's like a deep connection to them. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say I became your friend when I mm -hmm. talked to you. And I felt when we walked away that day when we interviewed you, you, and again, you can attribute this differently, but you walked with us and then we stood there talking for a while. Sure. It's almost like we didn't want it to end, mm -hmm. something you create. And I've had it before. I've said this to Isaac, and don't take this the wrong way, anyone I've ever interviewed, but I said it's almost, it almost has a sensual or seductive element to it that you... Someone you connect with and you feel that mix. And like when we talked to Sandal Bergman, right? She cried and she let something out that was really, she, she was surprised. She mm -hmm. cried and she looked at us and I think she even says, did she not say, I didn't know that was going to happen. I had no idea. Yeah. And then when we went to say goodbye to her, she hugged us and kissed us and we never saw her again. Right. But she felt this deep connection in that moment. And well, just because of that, I'm going to flash my biceps. Again okay, let's just, let me get, I just want to just describe, I didn't say this. I'm also a writer, just as you, as you are. And I, ha and I write screenplays. And so I've written stuff that didn't get produced at Disney, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to, if I can describe what I'm seeing to the people at home. I think he's honestly, I mean, you're welcome to try, but I think it's, it's like the Tao, it's wordless, it's beyond uh, the ability of any wild poet to convey all that. And yet... But I, by all means, please I try. I told you I wrote for Disney. Yes. And if there's a company that understands mighty thews yes. and rippling muscles... Of course. It would be Disney, wouldn't it? Disney eventually could get the rights to Conan. Anything is possible in this modern climate. Right. Think about it. I thought you were about to say that Disney could get the rights to my biceps, but maybe that too. Why not? I wish I had biceps. <laughs> it's not that hard, really. Like... Signor Bolelli has enough for everyone. <laughs> the truth is you are very fit. I want to tell the people at home that. You are a very fit person. Yeah, but it's funny. It's, uh, I think he's... Like for me... For me, a lot of the um, it's mental health. Like if I don't, and I'm I'm not a hardcore. I don't work out all the time. I'm not like one of those guys who like rain or shine six days a week. They are in the gym doing their thing, right? I don't. I get my workout, but I don't work out that much. But to me, the that measure, the, the ones that I do work out, I really can't do without. It's kind of uh, it not only is addictive, but it's really just it makes me function. If I don't do it, I, like I remember thinking it in the past, like if I could get the perfect body by doing nothing, would I want it? And it's like, well, sure. I mean, it's nice to get the perfect body, but no, we still have something else going on. That's not about the finished product of, oh, look at the muscles. It's really about, like for me, working out is at number one, number two, and number three is about mental health. 
And hmm. uh, number seven, we can look at, yes, I'm a vain motherfucker and I like to look at my biceps in the mirror kind of thing. But, you know, way... You're just male. Like, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I worked out... And human. I, I worked out for years. Uh-huh. I've had my hips replaced uh-huh. in 2010 and I've had yeah. injuries since then trying to uh, catch up with your body when your body's sure. having problems. And I went from the place where I realized no matter how much I worked out, I would never look like the whatever you're chasing in your sure, head. Sure, sure, sure. And eventually, I think people will find this, and you've just said it, and Isaac won't because he doesn't work out at all, but it is the act of working out itself uh-huh. that is enjoyable. Absolutely. It truly is. Well, like, yeah, and, and it's, it's true, I don't. Uh, I occasionally have, uh, and I did partake in uh, Wushu for about a mm-hmm. year and a half, um, that's because I wanted to find a martial art where I could do something physical that um, didn't involve sparring. Sure. Because I, I don't find it personally. I can't. I, I, I respect it for Get what it is, but I can't do it. Right. I can't I do it. Yeah. And uh, so, but I mean, listening to what you just described, I can apply. I, I, I can kind of project my my own version of that when you come when you when you when you describe it as mental health. It, for me, it's I need to express in some sort of art form. And you know, the thing is, I get that, mm-hmm. but to me, is not like, for example, writing for mm-hmm. me. Right? right? There's something that I love about the process. While there's something that's awesome about the ability to express oneself. There's mm-hmm. something, but to me, when I look at it, it's like, okay, Nietzsche wrote a lot. He still ended up crazy. You know, it's kind of like there's <laughs> yeah. something there where. Even on the best writing they have ever read, there's still something there that's like doesn't get to be expressed because it's not something that I express in words or in a drawing or mm. in anything. It's mm. like the process of sweating hard mm. is like nothing. It's kind of like saying, look, you can do some amazing art. Why do you need to have an orgasm? And it's kind of like, well, it's kind of important. You know, it's like, it's one of the things where it's like, it's, it's not that he's, that I don't consider that super important because I sure. do, and you're absolutely right. But to me, and again, maybe everybody's different physically, even just in what, or in terms of mental health, is like maybe you're perfectly more balanced without needing to. In my case, I feel that literally, like if I don't sweat, I go nuts. You yeah. know, if I don't sweat, I feel the pressure inside me builds up. And I can go only so many days. It's kind of like exactly. You get blue biceps. Totally, I get blue well, biceps. I mean, I, That's I, correct. I, mean, like, I, I can I can understand it from like building, doing manual labor, be moving. But it's the where I, where I get lost because I kind of yeah. I can I can understand exactly where you're going with it. But where I get lost with it is that I don't like that the sort of the discomfort of it. But maybe I get caught up in the whole. Uh, I don't see the the progression. I don't see well, the biceps that, that I'm wanting. Right. What you're that, saying I guess, I is the problem. It, like people who work out, and again, I used to work out because sure. someone's going to see me in the street and say, "You do not get to talk about working out." You chubby gentleman walking down the street. You talk about character. yourself a lot more shit than you should. Uh, Let's get our shirts off, not, guys. Yeah. Let's <laughs> get them off. He, he does. He's, he's but. <laughs> that the thing that the what you when you work out and I, my both my mm-hmm. kids have this and my wife has yeah. this so it's not just men or yeah. whatever no. the feeling of working out becomes very quickly doesn't it An it addiction. becomes very appealing oh, the feeling that. of it, I, I don't even want to say addiction it's enjoyable 
You, yeah, yeah. It, oh, yeah. it is its own reward, really. And, and even when, most of the time, yes, right? It's enjoyable. It's fun for itself. And even when it isn't, it's necessary. Because when you don't do it, you feel you something. It. Exactly. It's not necessarily that you're going to feel amazing for doing it. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But if you don't do it, you'll feel awful. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Well, you know what? When I had my hips replaced, I had them both replaced within the space of nine weeks, uh-huh. which is a lot. Yeah. And they, the nurse will come in in the five days after and you do this physio. And I'll tell you what, the physio is at times excruciating, but it's good. Like it's that feeling when your tooth is sore and you yeah. rub it with your yeah. tongue. Yeah. That's what it's like. Stretching like it hurts, yeah. but it's... You feel the benefit of it through that pain. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting idea there because if you're saying that you're, you are aware of how you the negative feeling you have if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. So what if you've never, for many people, what if you know, there's many people in the world who don't work out? Totally. Right? So if they don't know what it feels like to do it oh, and to get the benefit, exactly. they, don't, they yeah. don't have the option. They may feel shitty and don't know why, don't and know that why. could be why. Completely. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of the equivalent of your average teenager who's pumped up with hormones to the death, and they don't know that having orgasms on a regular basis will change your mood quite a bit. You know I what I mean? I'm going to write this down. Um, I want to quickly... I don't have a pen, <laughs> and I have a bad hand. Um it's interesting that you combine it with sex because, mm-hmm. of course, it is physical. It is involving yep. your hormones and your yep. muscles, and uh, it, it, it is a, a nice link. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget that your partner is an ass-kicking MMA woman. And even if... I'm linking them for you if you hadn't linked them. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> even if not, right? Let's say... Even just forget even sex as in with somebody else, just pure, just getting an or giving yourself an orgasm, right? If you don't do it in too many days, uh, are you going to be the same person? Do you think the same way? Are you, is your mental flow the same? Is... Let me answer that question for you. We are staying in the same hotel room oh over the next week. Lots and then of when... shower time? Nope. No shower time. And then when he leaves... Another camera operator comes for another gig and right. I stay with that person. The solution is to be 52. <laughs> that, is the, that is the answer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What you find is the, the part of your brain that used to go directly to your testosterone and yeah. your testosticles, yeah. that part of your brain begins to think about things like gluten, dairy, right. caffeine. Let, let's get something straight. Rand is actually an alien. He's not really human. That's yeah. what I'm beginning to wonder. Yeah. Yes. And, and we're talking about self-image. There's actually a, he might not know this, but in our small community that we grew up in, there are a, a great many people with his last name. And there is actually a, a known saying in the community called lob vanity. What? And it's been around that is not true. for many, <laughs> this is many years. <laughs> Daniele, you have been lied to, even as we sit here. That is not a lie. People... You, have, you have listeners right now who are good American men and women who are being lied to I think on this podcast. There's only one way to solve it. I'm going to put a knife Wait, in the no, middle of that. There was another knife around here somewhere. We had two. There's only one knife. Uh, I do. I come from His a very small town. Work. I come from a very small town. And the town is called Clinton, Ontario. And it's mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there was a play. Have you ever heard of the writer Michael Andachi? No. Well, he is a, a, a Toronto writer. He's a, a poet and a playwright. Mm-hmm. And he's a very well-regarded writer. And... 
Did he not write The English Patient? I don't know. You have, you're the one with the brain. To me, for this. I'm sorry. If a movie or a book does not involve somebody swinging an axe after somebody right, else, I'm right. not interested. The English so, Patient, come on. Are you Can- kidding me? He doesn't know Canadian writers then because they only. Well, we don't have a lot of axe swinging. There's more strange sex in snowshoes, so you might like that. That part is good. Okay. That okay. part is good. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. this writer did, uh, in, the, in the early 70s, there was a, a play about this certain area where we live, and some of the characters were lobs, and they made up a song called Gobs of Lobs. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of being a lob is not unusual in this small community, and there's a lot of people who are not of that last name. Yeah. And apparently, they manifest... They're, I would call them apocryphal tales about those lobs, of which I am one. I see. Thank I you see very much point. for letting me get that out. Lob vanity. And this is why we make documentaries, is the, seek, the seeking of truth. The truth. Right. The truth. I am trying to find the truth, and I am tying myself to camera operators and partners who are engaged in the pursuit of lies. <laughs> You're, you have a tough gig. First, I'm still stuck on your uh, being uh, in the same room 24-7 for a week, first with one guy, then with the next. Good luck with that. It's complex. That sound, it's complex. Yes. But you know what? Do you ever have this thing where you are able to shut off parts of your brain entirely? Describe. So if you... And, and now I'll be serious. I'll yeah. be dead serious. Yeah. So I actually do have pain all the time. Mm-hmm. So I am able to... By dint of wanting to live in this world, mm-hmm. I just shut it off. For really? the most part, I just ignore it. So when we're doing an interview with someone and I might be sore or whatever, I'm in a position and I do have these fake hips and all the arthritis, I just shut it off and I don't think about it. Huh. Yeah. And you do that so much, it takes no effort to shut off the testicles. That's he has pretty... a very, very good ability to compartmentalize. That's pretty yeah. hardcore because yeah. it's like... how. How do you even do it? I mean, it sounds like some yogi meditative practice of... Uh... Well, I, I actually can tell you a story about that. Do tell. So I have also something. It's, welcome to list your medical problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm your Mendel host, Lop. Randall Love. Uh, I have something called Meniere's disease. Mm-hmm. And this is probably why I've learned how to do this. Meniere's disease is in uh, your inner ear and it's your, your balance is damaged and your hearing and all of these things. And you get... Full vertigo, Ooh. and you know what full vertigo that is. That sucks. It's, it, is, it really is uniquely yeah. horrible, horrific, rather. So I was being tested at uh, this ear clinic in London, Ontario, by this very well-respected doctor, Dr. Parnes. They put you in a chair, and they tilt you back, and they get air and shoot air of varying temperatures yeah. into your ears, and it brings on full vertigo. You're wearing these goggles that have cameras in them that shoot your eyes, and there's it's kind like of Stanley Kubrick torture very kind much. of thing. Yeah. And there's phenomena that occurs that also makes you dizzy. So as they're shooting it, they're looking for your eyes to do an action called nystagmus. They go in a pattern. Yeah. And I'm, for those that don't see what my fingers are doing, like top to bottom, left to right, kind yeah. of these patterns. So I'm laying in there and they start to do it. And the whole time that you're doing this test, your heart is pounding because you're terrified because when you have full vertigo, it's like you have a panic attack. Yeah. You, some people vomit. It's it's a whole bunch of bad things. And I don't want to have this. By the time I'm going for this particular test, I've had Meniere's disease for many years, say five to seven years, I think, mm-hmm. or eight even. This is 2009 coincidence. I lay down. I start the test. And they say, I hear them talking to each other. And they're saying, what, what's he doing? And they say, what are you doing? 
I said, I don't know. So they stopped the test and they started again and they say, count up by threes. Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21. Stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? And I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, I I don't know. Yeah, what are you asking me? And they're talking back and forth. By the way, in my ear, so I can't hear them very well. So the third time they do it, I count backwards from 100 by threes. I can't do that. And they stop it again. And it turns out that what I'm able to do is go into kind of a trance Uh and shut out, block off the vertigo. I so don't want to have vertigo that I don't. Yeah. Have it. Like I, I have it, I'm having it, but I'm pushing it off. And yeah. they can see by my eyes that I'm doing something like trance like. Huh. And the same would happen when I'm nauseous, because I don't want to vomit from sure. when you have this. So same thing. Wow. Like I have my surgery for my hip replacement. I they put in the needle, I get an epidural from the waist down, I get these twilight drugs. I wake up in the middle of the surgery and I look up at the doctors. And I see my leg yeah. in a weird, that's not where your leg goes. Yeah. And I say, what's that sound? And the doctor or somebody pushes my head down. I go back to sleep. I wake up after the surgery and I'm myself. Like the drugs haven't affected me. Wow. Like somehow I think you're capable of blocking stuff or not blocking stuff. If you, not if you choose. It's not a choice. It's just you get into a desperation mode. Did you ever check out uh, Wim Hof? I I did of course right Rogan's Google podcast Rogan. yeah and and uh, I I agree I, I mean I I'm I have no power Wim Hof clearly has a superpower I don't have a superpower it's just by desperation no but I mean it's interesting because it seemed like this would be something that you could play with that it would be you probably would have an easier facility to it compared to other people uh, maybe um, if you're you, sore all the time yeah you'll do anything to avoid and also. Yeah, but, you know, people can want to do something and it doesn't mean they are able to. What you're talking about is a strange superpower that most people don't get. I, you really think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, everybody yeah, I, has it. No, well, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so at all. No. Guys, I feel really good about myself now. You should. I am going to take my shirt all, off. All of this is to say that he has an ability to suppress sexual appetite while living with other men. Yeah, that part In the company of men. Probably important, but yes. But as sexually appealing as I find Isaac, <laughs> right. I am able to shut that off. That's quite impressive. Yeah. I know, Isaac. I know. You it's... know, this is only on the radio we are able to really build that up. Come on. Right. Build it up? Yep, keep going. Oh, I'm seeing I'm seeing this now. Yep. You're finding the excitement that you receive right. from me discussing possibly being aroused by your presence. It's okay. exciting to you. It's appealing. No, I just thought that you said that I was actually visually appealing, and they don't know that, that I'm not. He's fishing for compliments. I was. I was. That's a sad use of podcast <laughs> time. Sad. Welcome to Sadcast with your host, Isaac Elliott Fisher. Please make me feel better. And that's why we make documentaries. <laughs> you can cut things out. And I see the point. Yeah. It's trippy, though. I'm intrigued with your... I'm honestly curious. I sort of wish you tried the Wim Hof method, both to see if it actually works for you in terms of doing stuff for your body. Mm-hmm. as well as the fact that you are kind of able to go there in some way on your own, how that would be helped by something like what Wim Hof does. I, I, I have looked into it and I started to play around with it in yeah. the sense that I looked at the breathing and thought about yeah. those exercises. Um, and then 
it was a lot of work. Yeah, it is. In the space I was in at the time. And I thought, I I can either dive into this or I can try to do this, the work I was doing at the time, which is making these films. Yeah, yeah. No, and I get it. Because I've been saying it. Oh, I want to try forever. (laughs) You know, I mean, that is the way I'm playing it. I'm like, hey, Randall, you should really do it. Tell me how it went, because oh, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, I'm making him do it so that eventually I'll run out of excuses until I have to. Yeah, but I'm yeah. like, you go first. It's kind of like we're there at the edge of this plane having to jump. And I'm like, yeah. no, come Tell on, buddy, you go. <laughs> well, you know what? You're already doing your version of it. When I think when you do any kind of martial art, you're mm-hmm. sublimating yourself to something else. Like you don't necessarily want to get punched in the face sure. or put in a chokehold. Correct. So you're doing it yourself. Yeah, it's different. Uh, I appreciate that. Nice idea, but no, it's different. Really? It's like what you're doing there is something that's objective, which is why you got the couple of strange-looking scientists going, what are you doing? Because it's not something that a regular human being is supposed to be able to do. Maybe other people just aren't as chicken shit as me, and I do not want to vomit in that this That doesn't scenario. matter, right? As long as you're able to pull it off, means you're having some degree of control over your system that most people don't get. Oh, no. I will brag about this. Do tell. I will brag about this. I vomited in 1969. That's always a good beginning of the brag. And never since. Really? I will not. Because it just grosses you out too much. To uh... It's it's sickening. Yeah, yeah, totally. Vomiting is gross. It makes you sick when you vomit. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm with you. But yes. Are you too? No, yeah, it's awful. It's a common it's, phobia. Yeah, it sucks. So maybe I'm so chicken shit, I'm such a wimp that I've blocked the ability to have normal human emotions and feelings. That's how good superhero stories begin, usually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the beginning He's of becoming it. a titanium man, yeah. too. So. Rather than fight crime, Randall Lobb began to make documentaries about pop culture. Yeah, that works. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I hope for somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still puzzled though by the your ability to put your mind somewhere other than sex for long enough. That's uh, fairly impressive. I mean, my wife would say not likely the case, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's contextual, I think. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> I see the point. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that most people's wives? I think. We I yeah, that. you're right. When yeah. I get around most people's wives, which was awkward at family reunions. I can see how that really would be complex. mildly troubling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that makes you think like the people who seriously go for whatever reason, whether they are priests or they are religious reasons or other things, the people who go for like hardcore celibacy. I don't Jesus believe them. Christ. Yeah, what does that do to your brain? Because uh, yeah. that must do some strange stuff. That's why your... that's a, there's a, there's I don't a I know what you're going to say. Big underlying problem in there. He's going to say something about the Catholic problem that has well, come out. Yeah. Over the yeah. Last, yeah. I mean, yeah. there is something yeah. there, right? Yeah. That I it's... hope it's not that. Uh, what do you think? Well, I hope it's the other way around. I would hope that people who have certain kinds of predilections will yeah. affiliate to something that they can hide it. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm probably there. No, yeah. It's yeah. probably not an either or thing. So it's it, probably both. Yeah, right. So Imagine being a young man and having drives that are to you unhealthy or yeah. unsavory and you go, I'm going somewhere to fight them. That yeah. makes sense to me. Well, and I yeah. think that that's, they, they actually use yeah. that as to why there's a, a, a high number like of of um homosexual men in the priesthood that you know, outside like there's there's statistically more of them there is that true regular, did uh, you make that fact up no i'm i'm pretty sure i didn't i'm pretty sure there's actually uh 
And and that's actually it was something I was watching, and they did they did discuss that as a, wow. a, a reasoning for it is that you have groups of people who are growing up in uh, very religious communities going, well, this is supposed to be unnatural, so I go to a place oh, to an extreme. Well, to fight. do you remember the Kinsey report in the fifties? Mm-hmm. Of course, because yeah. you were born then. Uh, I don't know. I'm saying, do you remember? But you've heard of it. Yeah. Apparently, it too uh, it reported a higher incidence of homosexuality because the people who would self select to go and take that. Yeah. Quiz and answer it were people with things that they wanted to get off their chest. Okay. That was a theory. Okay. Anyway, it's yeah. it's hard to know which so, end of the dog. No, and I think some of that for sure. I don't think it makes perfect sense. But I am interested also in the other side of the equation, which is kind of goes back to the working out or things like that. Is mm-hmm. how you use your body affects your brain, affects mm-hmm. your thinking, well, affects is, yeah. who you are. You know, and so in a case like somebody will decide to go with. No sex of any kind, including solitary, for a long enough period of time. I'm pretty sure you can bet that two weeks into it, a month into it, something, their brain is very different from the brain they started with. You know, And I'm not even saying yeah. good or bad, because maybe there are some people who are able to channel it in some amazing stuff. So I'm not even saying that they will fuck you up in a bad way. I think that's the case in most for most people but i'm sure there are cases of people who can use it in a good way where it's they i don't know i'm way beyond my expertise re-channel energy in some way i'm willing to entertain that thought right but what i'm not willing to entertain is the idea that you think that oh i can just shut that off and suddenly i can be the same human being like no big deal it's like no you're doing something to your body that's going to alter radically who you are right i mean like and even just in based and kind of basic neuroscience it's a yeah. strange thing to say but i mean like the idea of like say my father right now is losing his hearing mm-hmm. right so my mother is like you know the more you don't hear birds yeah. or things like that you're you're actually killing brain cells because you're not using of course the elements of your brain that you were interpreting those things with before so you're telling me i'm killing testicle cells you're killing so. brain cells dick with cells. the lacks i the think use of your testicles wow I think Guys, while he goes back to make sure that the gear is ready up there, feel free to take 10 minutes on your own. There's a separate room. Please just... You know what would happen when I would go in there, don't shame. you? Shame. You'd just shame me. I would go in there and I would sit down and I would just go into my Wim Hof breathing and I would be fine. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it's going to be, I say. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing in there? I'm Wim Hof breathing. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> oh, sure. See, you can't... These, Can't win. It's this constant, the drive to assume that all of us are are compulsively touching ourselves. That's what I'm fighting, I guess. <laughs> I guess you are. You are fighting, I'm fighting it. it. I'm fighting, fighting it. And I don't mean I'm fighting it in myself, right. culturally. A lot of yeah. noise with the table, too. I'm trying to use this old dog hand of mine. Mm-hmm. By the way. Okay, here's a story. I was also bitten by a dog, mm-hmm. and I ended up with complex regional pain syndrome in my hand. So what I think it is, is my brain wants to do certain things. That's why I'm like that. I you say, know what I mean? I, I think, yeah. I mean, like, I said this to you before, where you even some of the uh, arthritis that you experience... Is fake. Later in life, no, it's not, I'm oh. not saying it's fake. I'm saying that, like, you would cite... Uh, an injury you had in college or, 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 or whatever, like high school football, and you had an injury in your shoulder, later in life you end up with this. I think his body is against him. It's like any, any, <laughs> minor, in, in, any minor injury he has turns into... And so this actually has become the podcast of Randall Lobb's health problem. I I, it's so fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, let's talk about how many Tums a day are you taking? Like, you remember Tums? No? Uh, no. Antiacids. Antiacids. Mm. 
No. See, that's a normal conversation that you might have if you were an old man I talking see. about your body. I see, I see, I see. He's incredibly healthy, though. It's true. Yeah. I, I, I don't like... I take I don't, acid suppressors. I don't like uh, <laughs> that it becomes a conversation. But, you know, when your body does start to, oh, yeah, to get course. decrepit, well, you yeah. have to give a reason. You know, hey, how come you don't help that guy carry those bags? Yeah. Well, you see, and then you make a list, and all of a sudden you're a whiner. Mm-hmm. I see your point. I'm just defending myself now, aren't I? You are. Well, and we're, we're going to cut this out. No, <laughs> it's okay because you said earlier that all I do is whine. So we're going to cut this out. Yeah. Um, I know you guys have also to go to dinner soon and oh, stuff, but yeah, do tell. Uh, you know, last time you were asking me all about Conan. I'm curious. What do you like about it? What's your thing that... Because you said, you know, Ninja Turtles, eh, it's a cool, you know, you enjoy having done the documentary, but you're not a fan per se. Yeah. He-Man, Conan, yes. What about Conan? So uh, it's 100% begun as wish fulfillment as a child. Sure. Uh, power. Yeah. And I loved the idea of mastery over, funny enough, the body. And Not funny enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking it because suddenly I decide to ask about Conan. You know. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, my first Conan that I saw were the Lancer paperbacks. Mm-hmm. And I was a very young boy reading those books. And you saw those Frazetta covers. Yep. And, and I read the stories. And everything about that spoke to me as the wish for power. The, the wish to be outside of the red tape, outside of the hassles, outside of the constant having to think about your, you know, I guess it's your id, in fact. Like, he was allowed to let it all go free. When I was a little kid, if I had an interest in a girl, invariably I would find reasons in my head why she didn't like me. If Conan liked a girl, she always liked him. Of course. If Conan had an enemy, they fought. It was all direct and this perfect... Um, extension of himself. Yep. And I was super attracted to that. The physicalization of his will. And that makes me sound like an adherent of some kind of Nazi doctrine or no. something. But that, why Nazi? Yeah, it's not that. It's more like the idea that... Because, I mean, what's the opposite of that? Who, who likes not having power <laughs> yeah, exactly. or being, uh, you know... I, yeah. That's why I think it's funny because so often it has been associated with some, like right-wing concept. It's not. It it's, shouldn't be. Yeah, it shouldn't not, be at yeah. all. It's like the idea that somehow strength is a right-wing thing. Are we kidding? No, that's bullshit. Strength is strength. Strength is for everybody who's alive wants to be strong. That just Yeah, and it's a kind of strength too. Like the sexism in it, let's push that aside for a minute. The it, which is easy to do because we're all men, I guess. But yes and no, because I mean, if you're not even like you know the Frazetta paintings, it's not that the male body is any less put on display than the female body. Quite, you know what quite I mean? so, it's quite like so. It's, yeah. But I guess what I would say in it for me, looking at what what it was, at what kind of strength it was, was it was this strength of will and character, mm-hmm. and it was in a way where the things that he did physically were pure to his thinking, sure, which is what was really attractive to me as a kid because I was always. I think pretending something or faking something I or agree. trying to match something. I agree. Yeah, there's a sense of uh, oddly enough, because who knows how you know Howard clearly had a torture psychology, but oddly enough, the character of Conan comes across as somebody who's extremely comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, he's very clear with what he likes and what he doesn't. He's very clear in following what he likes. And what just hit me about that was, and I think as a little kid, I was always lying. Yeah, of course. And Conan seems to just say 
what this is what I'm doing exactly yeah. and which there's something very refreshing about that yeah. because which although enough maybe it's not just because he had our assistance that he got the girls is the fact that that is attractive when somebody has yes. the quality of just la- being comfortable in their own skin yeah. it's a very attractive kind of thing yeah and and the the way that Conan was played out in the Marvel comics, mm-hmm. like that would be the next yeah. thing. That Busema world yeah. was so rich and ornate. And when you're a kid, I think you're really attracted mm-hmm. to that kind of complexity of some other place. Really appealing. No, totally. I like that a bunch. Isn't it interesting what you were saying about the bodies too? Is that somehow we consider you know, socially, there's this idea that if there's a semi-naked male body and a semi-naked female body, will be like oh, the objectification of women. When it's like, no, mm-hmm. it's just I don't even consider it objectification in that sense. And to me, it's like it's like it's just the body, right? And well, there's an, even an appreciation for my favorite. Uh, we we have a, quite a nice collection of, of uh, Conan statues yeah. right now. And there's this one in my office that. Uh, I love I love having it out there because it's a it's a fun conversation yeah. piece for this exact reason because it's this this you know quite massive Conan you know with next to nothing on yeah. running like in a running pose and he's got this woman over his shoulder oh, yeah, yeah. and she's wearing nothing but yeah. just like little you know something around her waist and that's it oh, and he's, God, he's holding yes. and he's holding her by her buttocks yeah. like his hand is like one whole cheek yeah. and she's looking over her shoulder holding her breasts and oh, and I there's so some, and, and it's, <laughs> it's so my life it's so great because yes. you look at this 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 thing and you know on the surface you go oh okay roll your eyes and say this is this sexist you know yeah. man carrying but I'm like. I always love that piece because if anybody comes in and says something about it, I go, well, yeah, but how is he any less sexually objectified Talk in this well, scenario? And how, and even the, the fact that the woman is being carried by, maybe she wants to be, maybe sure. she needed to be. I would just jump in and say this. It's, it's who's got the power yeah. in that scenario. It's Conan. And, and I get why people are frustrated by that. Sure. We, have, we have wives. Some of us have daughters. It is concerning. And by the way, we saw Wonder Woman last night yeah. and it was beautiful. Right. right, because of this very thing. Right, yeah. you want to see the woman have the same opportunity, sure. and and you're right. It is in some Frazetta pieces, and it's one of these things that if it's if it's not there, if a woman doesn't get a chance to be shown in that way, then it is a problem. Totally, I notice even like a lot of Savannah artwork tend to be pretty sexual, explicit. Mm-hmm. And somehow is because it's done by a woman, a lot more people feel comfortable Very with much it. So. Because it's like, oh, if a woman is doing it, then it's okay. Because somehow there's the idea that sex is a male thing, whereas women are not supposed to be that way. Not mm-hmm. to. And so if you enjoy something that's openly sexual, it's somewhat sexist. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, and it's and in fact, if a woman is doing that, then okay, then it leaves the pressure, everybody's right. free because it's not just this male this male-centered outlook on the yeah. whole thing. find that quite interesting. Well, I am, I am concerned about it in life. I mean, my daughter is very strong and mm-hmm. she lifts. We talked yeah. about it. She's trying to, you know, sending me her personal best and stuff like that. And as a dad, I love that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's this, this thing where you, you worry. Like, we don't want women to be worried about their bodies, but we want them to be strong. Sure. But how do we, like, somehow it's different when it's men. Like, sure. we've allowed been allowed to be something that mm-hmm. women are trying to find a way to be or mm-hmm. we're trying to find a way to help them to be that. I don't know how to word it, but it's so 
much a minefield that I do worry it about it. It mm. is. It's an interesting minefield. So unlike the very literal minefield that we started with about <laughs> yeah. the, the early docs. Cool, man. Well, anything you want to throw out there? Any websites? Well, anything? You, you did hear our conversation. Yeah. We are making documentaries and we do want people to see what we're doing. So we're on Facebook and we have uh, a documentary called A Riddle of Steel, The Definitive History of Conan the Barbarian. Yes. You might find that out there. You might find Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You can do the other ones, Isaac. Uh, Turtle Power, Volume 2, The Definitive History of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, and uh, A Gamer's Journey, The, the Definitive, definitive history, history of Shenmue. Are these all on Facebook? or Yeah, they're or on websites. Facebook. And we do have websites. And our yeah. company is... Definitive film, mm -hmm. and one of the companies we work in is Faux Pop Media. Mm -hmm. Cool, awesome. Thank you for having us in. Thank you guys awesome. so much. It's awesome to hang out with somebody in LA. This is actually a lot of fun. Usually, I just have to hang out with you <laughs> in that <laughs> with, hotel room. With that sexual repression feeling in the air, and uh... you know, probably one of the key reasons he would like to break out from being a an impoverished indie filmmaker is so that he could have his own room and, and, we, and he would call it a masturbation palace. <laughs> See, this is why this is why we can't have this conversation. This is why we can't turns, have nice things. It just turns into, you know, now I feel self-conscious about any time of masturbatory, you know, thinking or anything. You can't, you, it's not my fault that you can't enjoy your own body, Ran. I'm not the only one who can't. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Let's end it there. Well, the funky music means one thing. It's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taos Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, I want to get right to our friends that were kind enough to donate us some cashish to help everything going. And I will do my own form of uh, English botchering on these names as we roll through them. So here we go. Let the botchering begin. Matt Sherbert. Tommy Bates. Elizabeth Jones. Sean Faust, Stuart Morrison, and Lane Rapper. I hope that's close. And thank you so much as always. It, every little bit helps, guys. It uh, takes a lot to keep all this going. And uh, we hope you like the show. And uh, we sure appreciate you uh, helping out. I invite anybody, $2 a year for someone who listens to 24 episodes. Seems pretty reasonable. That's a per-cost basis. It's not going to break you. And uh, it really would help us out. So... That's enough for the begging for now. Uh, if you want to find another way to help out, you can always click the donate button on our website. But also, there's the Amazon link. It opens an Amazon portal for the Drunken Towers. You can go to our website. You'll see the Amazon little banner. Click on that, and that takes you into Amazon through our door. And at that point, you shop it away as normal. It costs nothing extra from you. All of it comes from the fine folks at Amazon. And uh, you've helped us out, helped us out just, by, just by shopping. Other things available for you, the Taoist Lecture Series has been out for a while, but it's still waiting for you to check out. Bellelli takes you through, I think it's 18 different little chunklets of, uh, of, of Taoism. Or his audiobook, Not Afraid, also available on our website. Our awesome t-shirts from way back, four awesome varieties, each making your friends a little bit jealous. And of course, last but not least... 
the awesome folks, Daisy House, and their incredible music. The theme song that's been here for like since episode four so perfectly captures it. And they've got four great albums available at Daisy House slash Bandcamp. Uh, click a song, buy an album, help them out. They're kind enough to uh, let us have this music, and uh, we sure appreciate it. And want you guys to check out their ever-expanding library of awesome tunes. It's a good band, so enjoy. All right, guys, that's it. Next time, me and DB back together for the middle of August, and uh, be well till then. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. Dun, dun, dun. Got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.